while Count Schmugen and Vassler Sir Jacor watched, Elric lowered himself to the deck, panting and pale. His first attempt to work sorcery in this world had failed and had exhausted him. I am further convinced, he told Schmugen, that we are in another plane of existence, for I should have worked my incantations with less effort. You have failed. Elric rose with some difficulty. I shall try again. He turned his white face skyward. He closed his eyes. He stretched out his arms and his body, tensed as he began the incantation again, his voice growing louder and louder, higher and higher, so that it resembled the shrieking of a gale. He forgot where he was. He forgot his own identity. He forgot those who were with him as his whole mind concentrated upon the summoning. He sent his call out beyond the confines of the world into that strange plane where the elements dwelled, where the powerful creatures of the air could be found, the sylphs of the breeze, the shanas who lived in the storms, and the most powerful of all, the hihashans, creatures of the whirlwind. Now at last some of them began to come at his summons, ready to serve him as, by virtue of an ancient pact, the elementals had served his forefathers. Slowly the sail of the ship began to fill, the timbers creaked, and Schmielgen raised the anchor, and the ship was sailing away from the island through the rocky gap of the harbour, and out into the open sea, still beneath a strange blue sun. Soon a huge wave was forming around them, lifting up the ship and carrying it across the ocean, so that Count Schmielgen and the girl marvelled at the speed of their progress, while Elric, his crimson eyes open now, Blank and unseeing, continued to croon to his unseen allies. Thus the ship progressed across the waters of the sea, and at last the island was out of sight, and the girl, checking their position against the sun, was able to give Count Schmielgen sufficient information for him to steer a course. As soon as he could, Count Schmielgen went up to Alrico, still straddled the deck, still as stiff-limbed as before, and shook him. Elric, you'll kill yourself with this effort. We need your friends no longer. At once the wind dropped and the wave dispersed and Elric, gasping, fell to the deck. It's harder here, he said. It is so much harder here. It is as if I have to call across far greater gulfs than any I have known before. And then Elric slept. He lay in a warm bunk in a cool cabin. Through the porthole filtered diffused blue light. He sniffed. He caught the odour of hot food and, turning his head, saw that Vassla stood there, a bowl of broth in her hands. I was able to cook this, she said. It will improve your health. As far as I can tell, we are nearing the Crimson Gate. The seas are always rough around the gate, so you will need your strength. Elric thanked her pleasantly and began to eat the broth as she watched him. You were very like Saxif Darn, she said. Yet harder in a way, and gentler too. He is so remote. I know why that girl could never tell him that she loved him. Elric smiled. It's nothing more than a folk tale, probably, the story I told you. The Saxif Darn could be another person altogether, or an imposter even, who has taken his name, or a sorcerer. Some sorcerers take the names of other sorcerers, for they think it gives them more power. 
There came a cry from above, but Alric could not make out the words. The girl's expression became alarmed. Without a word to Alric, she hurried from the cabin. Alric, rising unsteadily, followed her up the companionway. Count Schmorgen Baldhead was at the wheel of his ship, and he was pointing towards the horizon behind them. What do you make of that, Alric? Alric peered at the horizon, but could see nothing. Often his eyes were weak, as now, but the girl said in a voice of quiet despair, It is a golden sail. You recognise it? Alric asked her. Indeed I do. It is the galleon of Earl Saxifdan. He has found us. Perhaps he was lying in wait along our route, knowing we must come this way. And how far are we from the gate? I'm not sure. At that moment there came a terrible noise from below as if something sought to stave in the timbers of the ship. It's the forward hatches, cried Schmjorgen. See what it is, friend Elric, but take care, man. Cautiously, Elric prized back one of the hatch covers and peered into the murky fastness of the hold. The noise of stamping and thumping continued, and as his eyes adjusted to the light, he saw the source. The white horse was there. It whinnied as it saw him, almost in greeting. How did it come aboard? Elric asked. I saw nothing, heard nothing. The girl was almost white as Elric. She sank to her knees beside the hatch, burying her face in her arms. He has us. There is still a chance we can reach the Crimson Gate in time, Elric reassured her. And once in my own world, why, I can work much stronger sorcery to protect us. No, she sobbed. It's too late. Why else would the White Horse be here? He knows that Saxifdan must soon board us. You'll have to fight us before he shall have you, Auric promised her. You have not seen his men, cutthroats all, desperate and wolfish. They'll show you no mercy. You would be best advised to hand me over to Saxifdan at once and save yourselves. You'll gain nothing from trying to protect me. But I'd ask you for a favour. And what's that? Find me a small knife to carry, that I may kill myself as soon as I know you two are safe. Auric laughed, dragging her to her feet. I'll have no such melodramatics from you, lass. We stand together. Perhaps we can bargain with Saxif Dan. Why have you to barter? Very little. But he is not aware of that. He can read your thoughts, seemingly. He has great powers. I am Elric of Malnibane. I am said to possess a certain facility in the sorceress arts myself. But you are not as single-minded as Saxif Dan, she said simply. Only one thing obsesses him, the need to make me his consort. Well, many girls would be flattered by the attention, glad to be an empress with a Malnibonean emperor for her husband. Elric was sardonic. She ignored his tone. That is why I fear him so, she said in a murmur. If I lost my determination for a moment, I could love him. I should be destroyed. That is what she must have known. The gleaming galleon, sails and sides all gilded so that it seemed the sun itself pursued them, moved rapidly upon them while the girl and Count Schmjorgen watched aghast, and Elric desperately attempted to recall his elemental allies without success. Through the pale blue light the golden ship sailed relentlessly in their wake, its proportions now monstrous, its sense of power vast, its gigantic prow sending up huge foamy waves on both sides as it sped silently towards them. 
with the look of a man preparing himself to meet death, Count Schmjorgen Baldhead of the Purple Towns unslung his battle-axe and loosened his sword in its scabbard, setting his little metal cap upon his bald pate. The girl made no sound, no movement at all, but she wept. Alric shook his head and his long, milk-white hair formed a halo around his face for a moment. His moody, crimson eyes began to focus on the world around him. He recognised the ship. It was of a pattern with the golden battle barges of Melnibane. Doubtless the ship in which Earl Saxif Dan had fled his homeland, searching for the Crimson Gate. Now Elric was convinced that this must be the same Saxif Dan, and he knew less fear than did his companions, but considerably greater curiosity. Indeed, it was almost with nostalgia that he noted the ball of fire like a natural comet, glowing with green light come hissing and sputtering toward them, flung by the ship's forward catapult. He half expected to see a great dragon wheeling in the sky overhead, for it was with dragons and gilded battlecraft like these that Malnibane had once conquered the world. The fireball fell into the sea a few inches from their bow and was evidently placed there deliberately as a warning. Don't stop, cried Vassilis. Let the flames slay us, it will be better. Schmilgen was looking upwards. We have no choice. Look, he has banished the wind, it seems. They were becalmed. Ulrich smiled a grim smile. He knew now what the folk of the young kingdoms must have felt when his ancestors had used these identical tactics against them. Elric, Schmjorgen turned to the albino. Are these your people? The ships Malnabonean, without question. So are their methods, Elric told him. I am of the blood royal of Malnibane. I could be emperor even now if I chose to claim my throne. There is some small chance that Earl Sax of Dan, though my ancestor, will recognise me and therefore recognise my authority. We are a conservative people, the folk of the Dragon Isle. The girl spoke through dry lips hopelessly. He recognises only the authority of the Lords of Chaos who gave him aid. All Malnamodans recognise that authority, Alric told her with a certain humour. From the forward hatch the sound of the stallion stamping and snorting increased. We're besieged by enchantments. Count Schmjorgen's normally ruddy features had paled. Have you none of your own, Prince Elric, that you can use to count in them? None, it seems. The golden ship loomed over them. Elric saw that the rails high overhead were crowded, not with Irurian warriors, but with cutthroats equally as desperate as those he had fought upon the island, and apparently drawn from the same variety of historical periods and nations. The galleon's long sweeps scraped the sides of the smaller vessel as they folded, like the legs of some water insect to enable the grappling irons to be flung out. Iron claws bit into the timbers of the little ship, and the brigandly crowd overhead cheered, grinning at them, menacing them with their weapons. The girl began to run to the seaward side of the ship, but Elric caught her by the arm. Do not stop me, I beg you, she cried. Rather jump with me and drown. <laughs> you think that death will save you from sex if done, Ulrich said. If he has the power you say, death will only bring you more firmly into his grasp. Oh, the girl shuddered. And then as the voice called down to them from one of the tall decks of the gilded ship, she gave a moan and faces fainted into Ulrich's arms so that, weakened as he was by his spell-working, it was all that he could do to stop himself falling with her to the deck. The voice rose over the coarse shouts and guffaws of the crew. It was pure, lilting, sarcastic. It was the voice of a Malnibonean, 
though it spoke the common tongue of the young kingdoms, a corruption in itself of the speech of the bright empire. May I have the captain's permission to come aboard? Count Schmjorgen growled back. You have us firm, sir. Don't try to make an act of piracy polite with speech. Well, I take it I have your permission, then. The unseen speaker's tone remained exactly the same. Alric watched as part of the rail was drawn back to allow a gangplank studded with golden nails to give firmer footing to be lowered from the galleon's deck to theirs. A tall figure appeared at the top of the gangplank. He had the fine features of a Malnabonean nobleman, was thin, proud in his bearing, clad in voluminous robes of cloth and gold, an elaborate helmet and gold and ebony upon his long auburn locks. He had grey-blue eyes, pale, slightly flushed skin, and he carried, so far as Elric could see, no weapons of any kind. With considerable dignity, Earl Saxif Darn began to descend his rascals at his back. The contrast between this beautiful intellectual and those he commanded was remarkable. Where he walked with straight back, elegant and noble, they slouched, filthy, degenerate, unintelligent, grinning with pleasure at their easy victory. Not a man amongst them showed any signs of human dignity. Each was overdressed in tattered and unclean finery. Each had at least three weapons upon his person, and there was much evidence of looted jewellery. Nose rings, ear rings, bangles, necklaces, toe and finger rings, pendants, cloak pins, and the like. Gods, murmured Schmjorgen. I've really seen such a collection of scum, and I thought I'd encountered most kinds in my voyages. How can such a man to bear to be in their company? Yeah, perhaps it suits his sense of irony, Auric suggested. Earl Saxifterarn reached the deck and stood looking up at them to where they still positioned themselves in the poop. He gave a slight bow. His features were controlled, and only his eyes suggested something of the intensity of emotion dwelling within them, particularly as they fell upon the girl in Elric's arms. I am Earl Saxifdan of Malnibane, now of the islands beyond the Crimson Gate. You have something with you which is mine. I would claim it from you. You mean the lady Vassilis of Shakur, Elric said, his voice as steady as Saxifdan's. Saxifdan seemed to note Elric for the first time. A slight frown crossed his brow and was quickly dismissed. She is mine, he said. You may be assured that she will come to no harm at my hands. Elric, seeking some advantage, knew that he risked much when he spoke in the high tongue of Malnimine, used between those of the royal of the used between those of the blood royal. Knowledge of your history does not reassure me, Saxifdan. Almost imperceptibly, the golden man stiffened, and fire flared in his grey-blue eyes. Who are you to speak the tongue of kings? Who are you who claims knowledge of my past? I am Elric, son of Sadrach, and I am the 428th emperor of the folk of Rulin Karen Aha who landed upon the Dragon Isle 10,000 years ago. I am Elric, your emperor, Earl Saxifdan, and I demand your fealty. And Elric 
held up his right hand, upon which still gleamed a ring set with a single Actorios stone, the Ring of Kings. Earl Saxophdan now had firm control of himself again. He gave no sign that he was impressed. Your sovereignty does not extend beyond your own world, noble emperor, though I greet you as a fellow monarch. He spread his arms so that his long sleeves rustled. This world is mine. All that exists beneath the blue sun do I rule. You trespass, therefore, in my domain, and I have every right to do as I please. Pirate pomp, muttered Count Schmiorgen, who had understood nothing of the conversation, but had gathered something of what had passed by the tone. Pirate braggadocio. What does he say, Elric? He convinces me that he is not, in your sense, a pirate, Count Schmiorgen. He claims that he is ruler of this plane, since there is apparently no other, we must accept his claim. Oh, gods, then let him behave like a monarch and let us sail safely out of his waters. We may, if we give him the girl. Count Schmiorgen shook his head. I'll not do that. She is my passenger and my charge. I must die rather than do that. It is the code of the sea lords of the purple towns. You are famous for your adherence to that code, Eric said. As for myself, I have taken this girl into my protection, and as hereditary emperor of Mount Nibonet, I cannot allow myself to be browbeaten. They had conversed in a murmur, but somehow Earl Saxof Dan had heard them. I must let you know, he said evenly in the common tongue, that the girl is mine. You steal her from me. Is that the action of an emperor? She is not a slave, Elric said, but the daughter of a free merchant in Jacor. You have no rights upon her. Earl Saxifdan said, Then I cannot open the Crimson Gate for you. You must remain in my world forever. You have closed the gate? Is it possible? To me. Do you know that the girl would rather die than be captured by you, Earl Saxifdan? Does it give you pleasure to instill such fear? The golden man looked directly into Elric's eyes as if he made some cryptic challenge. Gift of pain has been a favourite gift amongst our folk, has it not? Yet it is another gift I offer her. She calls herself Vassalus of Jacor, but she does not know herself. I know her. She is Gratiesha, Princess of Fuem Oyeminmo, and I would make her my bride. How can it be that she does not know her own name? She is reincarnated. Soul and flesh are identical. That is how I know. And I have waited, Emperor of Malmibade, for many scores of years for her. Now I shall not be cheated of her. As you cheated yourself two centuries past in Malmibade. You risk much with your directness of language, Brother Monarch. There was a hint of a warning in Saxofdan's tone, a warning much fiercer than any implied by the words. Well, Elric shrugged, you have more power than we. My sorcery works poorly in your world. Your ruffians outnumber us. It should not be difficult for you to take her from us. You must give her to me. Then you may go free, back to your own world and your own time. Elric smiled. There is sorcery here. She has no reincarnation. You'd bring your lost love's spirit from the netherworld to inhabit this girl's body. Am I not right? That is why she must be given freely, or your sorcery will rebound upon you. Or might and you would not take the risk. Earl Saxifdan turned his head away so that Elric might not see his eyes. 
She is the girl, he said in the high tongue. I know that she is. I mean her soul no harm. I would merely give it back its memories. Well, then it's a stalemate, said Elric. Have you no loyalty to a brother of the royal blood? Saxifdan murmured, still refusing to look at Elric. You claimed no such loyalty as I recall, Earl Saxifdan. If you accepted me as your emperor, then you must accept my decisions. I keep the girl in my custody, or you must take her by force. I am too proud. Such pride shall ever destroy love, said Elric, almost in sympathy. And what now, King of Limbo? What will you do with us? Earl Saxifdan lifted his noble head, about to reply, when from the hold the stamping and the snorting began again. His eyes widened. He looked questioningly at Elric, and there was something close to terror in his face. What's that? What have you in the hold? I mount, my lord, that is all, said Elric, equably. A horse. An ordinary horse. A white one. A stallion with bridle and saddle. It has no rider. At once, Saxifdan's voice rose as he shouted orders for his men. Take those three aboard our ship. This one shall be sunk directly. Hurry, hurry! Elric and Schmjorgen took off their hands, which sought to seize them. Elric and Schmjorgen shook off the hands which sought to seize them, and they moved towards the gangplank, carrying the girl between them. While Schmjorgen muttered, At least we are not slain, Elric. But what happens to us now? Elric shook his head. We must hope that we can continue to use Earl Saxifdan's pride against him to our advantage, though the gods alone know how we shall resolve the dilemma. Earl Saxifdan was already hurrying up the gangplank ahead of them. Quickly, he shouted, raise the plank! They stood upon the decks of the golden battle barge and watched as the gangplank was drawn up, a length of rail replaced. Bring up the catapults, Saxifdan commanded. Use lead. Sink that vessel at once. The noise from the forward hold increased. The horse's voice echoed over the ships and water. Hooves smashed a timber and then suddenly it came crashing through the hatch covers, scrambling for purchase on the deck with its front hooves, and then stood there, pawing at the planks, its neck arching, its nostrils dilating and its ears glaring, its eyes glaring as if ready to do battle. Now, Saxifdan made no attempt to hide the terror on his face. His voice rose to a scream as he threatened his rascals with every sort of horror if they did not obey him with the utmost speed. The catapults were dragged up and huge globes of lead were lobbed onto the decks of Schmjorgen's ship, smashing through the planks like arrows through parchment, so that almost immediately the ship began to sink. Cut the grappling hooks, cried Saxifdan, wrenching a blade from the hand of one of his men and sawing at the nearest rope. Cast loose, quickly. Even as Schmjorgen's ship groaned and roared like a drowning beast, the ropes were cut. The ship keeled over at once and the horse disappeared. Turn about, shouted Saxifdan. Back to Falagan and swiftly or your soul shall feed my fierce demons. There was a peculiar high-pitched neighing from the foaming water as Schmjorgen's ship, stern uppermost, gasped and was swallowed. Elric caught a glimpse of the white stallion swimming strongly. Go below, Saxifdan ordered, indicating a hatchway. The horse can smell the girl, and this is doubly difficult to lose. Why do you fear it? Elric asked. It is only a horse, it cannot harm you. Saxifdan uttered a laugh of profound bitterness. Ha! Can it not, brother monarch? Can it not? As they carried the girl below, Elric was frowning. 
remembering a little more of the legend of Sax of Dan, of the girl he had punished so cruelly, and of her lover, Prince Caroline. The last he heard of Sax of Dan was the sorcerer crying, More sail! More sail! And then the hatch had closed behind them, and they found themselves in an opulent Melnobonean day cabin full of rich hangings, precious metal, decorations of exquisite beauty, and to Count Schmulgen disturbing decadence. But it was Elric as he lowered the girl to a couch who noticed the smell. Ugh. It's the smell of a tomb, of damp and mould, yet nothing rots. It is passing peculiar, friend Schmulgen, is it not? I scarcely noticed Elric. Schmulgen's voice was hollow, but I would agree with you one thing. We are entombed, and I doubt we'll live to escape this world now. 